Good afternoon. How are you guys doing out there? Gabe DeArmond here on one side of your screen. Gerard Hamilton on the other side. It has been, I don't know, it's been a minute. Uh, we'll just put it that way. Uh, but look, it's the offseason. Um, Missouri hasn't played a football game in, I don't know, six months and some change. Uh, there was no spring football game, all that. Um Gerard, I just want to tell you, man, I've done this for a little while. Don't get used to this. Not every offseason is this quiet, man. It, it would be great if it was for us, but not everyone's this quiet. Oh, I'm, I'm going to take it. <laughs> I'm going to take <laughs> Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know, like, sports fans, the, the offseason, everybody's like, everybody does these countdowns, right? Like 150 days till the season, whatever. I learned a long time ago, man, don't wish your life away. It, it'll be here soon enough. Um, and it is, I think, I think we're 27 days from now. Gerard will be in Nashville talking to Eli Drinkwitz, uh, SEC media day. So like it's getting here, it's, it's pretty close. And that's why we kind of wanted to come back and, and just kind of do an off season reset. Um, some, some things have happened here lately. Talk about really anything you guys want to talk about. If you are here live watching with us, feel free to put your comments up and, we will uh, we'll get to the comments, the questions. Jason, among those with us, uh, we'll put the comments up on the screen. If you're listening on the podcast later on, uh, then you're just going to have to deal with what we feel like talking about. Um, so let's uh, let's just start kind of big picture. Um, we are a month away from. I I feel like we say this every year, but man, this seems like a big season for Missouri football to me. I, I mean, yeah. there's a there's a lot of what ifs out there, and some of those need to get some answers here in the next six months. I remember, so coming up on my little one year anniversary here, I remember maybe more so in fall camp, you was telling me, you know, the same thing. It's like it's a big year, but I'm, I'm sure you said that in what after 2020. So you said that last year, saying it this year. It's it's a big year every year, but when it's when it's six and six over and over and over again, and you don't know what's going on for some positions, and you know you don't have certainty for some things, it's getting a little hectic. Yeah, I, I mean, we do say it most years, and it's true most years, but this one just seems like look, we've been we've been sitting here. I mean, it's two games under five hundred for Drinkwitz. If you go back to two thousand fifteen, Missouri's a few games under five hundred. Like that's just you want movement one way or the other. And I, you know, so let's just start here. Let's address the elephant in the room because this is what every single football thread on our message board turns into this usually pretty quickly is how many games does he have to win to be the coach next year? And, and I've been saying all along, like, you know, I think six is a, maybe he comes back seven. He definitely comes back, but it won't generate a lot of excitement. But I've kind of also started to think, I don't know, man. I like with the SC, Texas and Oklahoma are joining the SEC. Divisions are going away. This thing's going to get crazy. Like I've really started thinking in the last couple of weeks, Missouri needs Eli Drinkwitz to be the guy because, okay, if he goes six and six or five and seven and you fire him, are you just going to, who are you going to get that, that you feel like is going to do better? And, the point is, it's a dark throw if if it doesn't work with Drinkwitz. And I know I've said all along, hey, five and seven, you got to fire him. 
I don't know, man. I'm starting to kind of start to think. I, I don't know if that's the the right way to go because long term, this SEC is scary. The way I mean, they released that schedule a couple weeks ago, and you're just looking around, going, "Man, <laughs> who's got the easy schedule here?" Uh, I just feel like there's multiple factors besides besides you know finishing seven and five, eight and four, five and seven, six and six. There's other stuff that goes into that. Kind of like you know this past season where it was six and six, but if you watched all twelve games, you know. There's context to those games and easily could have been eight and four without some things. Uh, you know, we, you and I were just talking off screen about, you know, recruiting. That's that's going to be something, you know, just in-state guys and keep going. And that individually won't matter, I feel like, to get them fired or whatever. But that and maybe not getting above that six and six threshold, probably that and maybe mix of other things that maybe we just don't know about uh, can lead to that. Yeah, I don't I don't think I think you're right. There's no hard and fast number. I, I've said all along, like I think the worst case scenario is six and six or seven and five. Six and six is the worst case scenario. That's, like, that's a, the bottom. Yeah, you go to a bowl game and there's an argument to be made that's good enough to keep him, but six and six doesn't get anybody excited. I'm not sure seven and five builds a lot of momentum, but at least it's a winning record and all that. Um at five and seven, hey, at least you'd have an answer. Like, I'm not saying anybody should be rooting for five and seven. You should be rooting for 10 and two or 12 and 0 or whatever it is. I mean, best case scenario is, hey, they go out here and win eight or nine games and this thing starts to take off. But like, I can I can make an argument that five and seven and just deciding to move on is almost better than six and six. And just we go into next year going, Boy, I don't really know, but this sure seems like a big year for Missouri football. It feels even double when you compound the, you know, the no schedule, I mean, the no divisions and, you know, 2024, Texas and OU coming in. Like, I feel like a lot of teams uh, in the SEC are going to be thinking about a similar thing with their coach. Like, are they ready for this next wave of SEC football? Not just Mm -hmm. the year to year thing, but what's going to go on in 2024. And then eventually with the nine game schedule coming out, you know, 2025, supposedly, you know how. Right. <laughs> right. Know how Maybe. Goes. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the SEC just every year is going to be like, well, we couldn't agree on anything, but here's what we're doing next year. And, and then just just uh, push it back a year. But Although I like, like the alternative just... for this year. I like the I like what they've yep. done for the eight games. I mean, for uh, 2024, I meant. So that, that's a good place to start. I mean, the eight game schedule looked to me like. Because, you know, the, the leak came with the nine games and, and like, hey, here's who we're hearing it would be and all that. And supposedly Nick Saban wasn't very happy about that. I mean, he talked to Ross Dellinger about that a few months ago. Alabama's teams were too hard. Well, if you look at that schedule, everybody got the three teams they were going to get. That almost seemed to me like Greg Sankey went in a room and said, all right, y'all being babies and you can't agree on anything. So we're going to play eight games, but you're still going to play everybody you would have played in the nine game schedule. You know, um. But but like bigger picture, and we had a bunch of we had a bunch of topics that we kind of agreed. Hey, here we'll talk about some of these things. So this is a good one to start. The SEC schedule combined with what you were just saying, I look forward, and Missouri is not alone here. I think there's a lot of teams in this league who are going to have to kind of redefine what success looks like. Um, I, I wrote on Monday morning: if you are not LSU, Alabama, Georgia. 
And I throw Oklahoma in here because Oklahoma has been successful. They've been one of the top programs in college football, seriously, guys, for like 70 years now, going back to Bud Wilkinson. So I know a lot of people think Oklahoma's going to have a rude awakening in the SEC. And look, they might. Maybe Brent Venables don't have any idea what he's doing. But for now, I put Oklahoma in this conversation. If you're not one of those four teams, I don't think you can really expect SEC championship game appearances other than maybe once every few years. Because being a top two team in this 16-team league, like it's not like you're sitting over here in one division and you just got to be better than six other teams. You got to be better than 14 teams in this league. So anything to disagree with there? I mean, if you're not, would you put anybody else in that group that you look at and say, okay, they can start most seasons thinking they might play in the SEC title game? You said Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Okay. I, I, okay. I'm glad you we went over that because I was thinking Tennessee and I was about to say there's some teams like a like a Tennessee where it's recency maybe. bias. So. Yeah, maybe. But if we take, you know, the last year or two or whatever, and then you go back to the 10 years they based the schedule off of, they're not in there. So you right. didn't have them. That's correct. Um, something else in the 10 thoughts was teams should be looking at getting it to the playoff more than getting to the conference. It, it's tennis. easier. Like it's it, going to be yeah. easier. Exactly. And I think the the way we look at it, you know, um, 10 and 2, 11 to 1, um, currently, I think you're going to do that like a step down. So like one less win is going to make you feel like, you know, that's a it's not undefeated, but that's a really good team that can do some damage in a bowl game or in the playoffs or whatever it may be. So everybody's expectations, especially for the teams in the middle rung of the conference, Eight and four, that needs to kind of be like the new seven and five. And if you're maybe a new coach or something like the six and six, like that needs to be where you're like, this is where our bottom should be. And I think, I mean, we're going to start to look at this a little more like NFL fans look at it, I think. Okay, you get 12 teams in the playoff. Yeah, it'd be cool to win the SEC or to play in the SEC title game. But honestly, there's going to be a team, I think, from the SEC and the Big Ten almost every year that isn't in the conference title game, that is in the 12-team playoff. So, hey, does anybody really – I mean, yeah, it's cool to win the AFC West, but it doesn't guarantee you anything. As a wild card team, you can still make the Super Bowl. So, so I think that's really – I think that's going forward what we're going to start to look at. And like you said, I mean, nine to three, some years it might not get you in, but nine to three is going to give you a shot in the SEC to be in that top 12 every single year. And I think, like, I hate I, Missouri fans are going to get mad at me for this, but I would say the same thing if this was a South Carolina podcast, an Ole Miss podcast, maybe even an Auburn or a Tennessee podcast. Like, guys, the, the, the 11 and one and, and winning this league or playing in the SEC title game, that's just not realistic very often. I'm not saying it can never happen, but it ain't right. going to happen much. That nine and three. And also, like you said, you may make nine and three, and that may not get you into the playoffs some years. But you know what nine and three does, though? It still it brings a lot more recruits than six and six, seven and oh, five, yeah. and five and seven seasons. Like that's still good enough to improve something and have momentum going into the next year where that can roll over and maybe you get into the playoff now that next year. Of course, if stuff goes in the way it needs to, but that helps as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you definitely have to, people will get tired of like being the, 
I don't even the New York Jets. Obviously, you don't you don't want that. You gotta you gotta be a wild card team every now and again. You've got to at least be in that conversation. Uh, like Eddie Rose was talking about 2007. You know, hey, that somebody got to do a documentary on the 2007 college football mm-hmm. season. I know you probably you were probably what like nine, eight, yeah, eight. about awesome. about eight years old. But I do awesome. I do I do remember West Virginia and the Pat White team. I do remember Chase Daniel. Um, I didn't know. I don't remember so much about that situation. I do remember them being good, but I didn't know they were one and two. But I've so, heard about yeah. about stuff about this lately about how uh, what West Virginia lost to Pittsburgh, and then um, it was a bad Pittsburgh team, wasn't it? So yeah, so it was the weekend of Thanksgiving. West mm-hmm. Virginia was no, I think Kansas was number one. West Virginia was two. LSU I think was three, and Missouri was four. So. Pitt beats West Virginia, Arkansas, bad Arkansas team beats LSU, Missouri beats Kansas, Missouri goes to number one in the country going into the Big 12 title game against Oklahoma, then they lost in Ohio State and LSU end up playing in the national title game. But like this 12 team playoff opens up things like that, right? Like, yeah, you go in as the 12 seed. Hey, now, now we've got a little three week 2007 college football season on our hands. Go, go take your shot. Right. Right. And, and I think that LSU team that won that title was 10 and two or, or so. Yeah, it wasn't it's like the were... only team to ever, I think to ever win a national title with two losses. Right. So yeah, a lot more possibilities opening up for, uh, you know, with this playoff. Right. The, the, well, because you're going to have a team at some point, some team's going to be like the sixth seed and win the playoff, and they're going to have lost two or three games, right? Like, the way we look at the regular season, it, that doesn't apply for this year, but starting next year, the way we look at the regular season in college football has to change. Like, an October loss might not end, you know, you lose in October to Kentucky, and it might not end your season now. The, the at-large thing and teams coming down the stretch thinking – um, I, don't, I think every team wants to win every game, obviously. Sure. But if there's a favorable matchup, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if a team says, "Sure, we're sixth, seventh, or whatever," but we get to host or we get to play a little easier opponent, and we don't get the home game or whatever. That's cool. But I mean, we don't get to uh, the bye, but we get to a home game and play whoever. I can't wait until that starts becoming a conversation as well. Yeah, well, and like the only argument against a bigger playoff has always been, well, it makes the regular season less important. No, it makes the regular season more important because there's so many games that, you know, wouldn't matter this year that might matter in two years from now. All right. So, um, all right. So let's get to some some actual Mizzou stuff. We'll, we'll talk with we'll start team talk, and then we're going to get into some recruiting and some things that have happened. But you know, Case wants to know: Does anybody have any idea who will start at quarterback? I mean, I don't feel like I do. I, maybe Eli Drinkwitz does. I, I'm not even positive he does. But I, I, I mean, I don't think we've seen anything that would change our minds on this in the last you know four months. But but it's obviously the big question about this team. Where do you sit on it, you know, at 4-15 on June 20th? It's Brady Cook. Brady Cook is probably – he's in line. See, he's this, the front this, this is where we're going to get to do the Skip and Shannon bit because I don't agree with you. Oh, you don't think it's Brady right now? Well, I, I mean, right now as we sit here today, yes. Oh, okay. I, That's what I thought you was asking. Sure. I don't, as far as later, no. Oh, as far as I, as far as oh. game one of the twenty twenty three season, who oh. do you think's under center for Missouri? 
I mean, I'll uh, go first. I think it's yeah. Sam Horn, and I think it needs to be Sam Horn. It needs to be, yeah. I think, yeah, you need to say it needs to be Sam Horn. Will it be Sam Horn? Mm, I don't know. I I don't know. But the, here's the thing. With Brady obviously missing all the spring ball and then Sam getting hurt. For, like, did he get hurt, like, maybe a couple days before it started or the first week or something? Like, it, was it was late February, early March. Yeah, yeah, like, he really didn't do anything much besides have the jersey on, but he wasn't doing anything, so we couldn't really see or test anything. And we had Jake Garcia out there, but – I mean, he was what there a couple months. He's still learning the playbook, learning the teammates. Like, I don't know. So when we get into fall camp, we'll really see. But as of now, it's Brady Cook. I don't know. I may change my answer definitely in a month from now when we have SEC media days. Right. And, and when I say it needs to be Sam Horn, let me clarify that. Like, that is not that is not Brady Cook sucks and this team can't win games with Brady Cook. I thought Brady Cook took way too much heat last year. Like, he wasn't great. But he got better as the year goes on. If Brady Cook comes back in fall camp and he's a significantly better player than he was last year, and Eli Drinkwitz thinks he can go win eight or nine games with Brady Cook at quarterback, amen. Great. It's just that what Brady Cook is now entering his fourth year in college. I am assuming that what I have seen out of him is close to what his ceiling is. Now, maybe that's wrong, but most players by their fourth year in college have already probably kind of become what they're going to be. Um, and so I'm assuming that if Brady Cook is the starter, you see in the range of what you had last year and in the range of what you had last year, I don't think is what the hope is. So I'm saying Sam, I'm doing the, well, I haven't seen Sam Horn fail yet. So I assume Sam Horn has a higher ceiling. You know, I think Sam Horn would raise the ceiling of this team if that ceiling is there where we think it is. Uh, but look, if Cook's the better player in fall camp, then I, I'm not saying you start Sam Horn just because he's higher ranked and and that'll excite people. I mean, the best player is going to win the job. And if that's Brady Cook, so be it. I'm not rooting against the kid or anything. Um, I just think best case for scenario for Missouri is that Sam Horn becomes this year what people thought he was coming out of high school that off of the fact that they recruited him, he's the higher star guy. Yeah. that And like you said, athletically and all that stuff, he probably has a higher ceiling. However, and I still keep this in the front, forefront of my mind, it should have been eight and four or eight and four teams. So that's one thing. When you think of the fluky losses, should have been an eight and four team with him having that messed up shoulder that we, Thought we saw at Kansas State, but they didn't say anything. During the hey, but look, if they're going to tell us all offseason he could play with it and it didn't bother him, that's that's an invalid excuse to me. If it was because of the shoulder, then he shouldn't have played. I, I understand that. I'm just saying we don't know 100% you know, what it is. And I'm still saying, like, even with that shoulder, those two losses, I'm thinking, mm, were those directly him? Like that first half of that Kentucky game? He was he was bad, but second half he he made the plays to give them the lead back. At one point what, uh, in the second, what was the final score of that Kentucky game? I want to say it was 21-17. Okay, final score of the Auburn game seventeen fourteen in overtime. I, I get I get you the, know I how you're the, not in those positions. I, I, I score yeah. a representative number of points. No, you're definitely offense. you're you're definitely right. But I'm also saying. Sometimes it's just not your day, and he put him in positions to win, and then 
random things happen that do not happen every single season. These are specific games that people who watch those games and Missouri fans are going to remember specifically because those don't happen all the time and they don't happen in the same season like that. So I think he has that. And, you know, he's got a good grasp on the playbook, all that good stuff about being a quarterback and leadership. He's team captain, all that stuff. He's got that that works for him. But Brady, I mean, uh, Sam Horn, he's definitely the guy we feel, or at least I feel they want to be like, hope it's this guy because of what he's I think everybody would love Sam Horn to come out in fall camp and just make it obvious, right? Just take the Mm -hmm. job. Um, I I mean, sure, they'd be fine if Brady Cook was was suddenly – you know, uh, twice the quarterback he was last year yeah. too. My my only point is, and look, I'm not saying that that he should be this guy, but like Chase Daniel didn't lose games 17-14. He lost games, but he didn't lose them 17-14. You know, I mean, that those games, they still lost because of the offense. And the only thing you can really do to spice up the offense a lot is have a different quarterback. Uh, you're not wrong. You're you're not wrong in the arguments you make valid because no. I can see myself next week even being <laughs> on the thing, but trying to play devil's advocate for Brady Cook, I still look at like he started the season bad, but it seems like really after that he Vanderbilt. Got better. Yeah, especially that even with the Tennessee game, where they got mauled and that was a lot more on the defense than the offense. That's where he started to play his best football the last three games of the season to help them get into uh to get a bowl game. So so this just kind of popped into my head. We'll we'll kind of finish up the quarterback talk with with this. And I want to know what you think. I think ultimately the decision could come down to how gutsy and how daring is Eli Drinkwitz. And here's why I want to say it. because like he came in and he's 36 years old and he's supposed to be this big offensive guy. And I think we all thought, Hey man, this is a dude that takes some chances and he ran some funky trick plays in the COVID season and all that. And it was pretty fun to watch in the last two seasons. Eli Drinkwitz has been maybe the most conservative coach in America. He's punting on fourth and one. He's playing guys that like the ceiling seems lower. So my point is, if he is willing to roll the dice a little bit and say, Sam Horn, hey, you're going to make some mistakes. You're a first-year starter, but the ceiling, I feel like, is higher. I understand the floor might be lower, and there's going to be a couple days where it might look bad, but I like that ceiling. Then I think that improves Sam Horn's chances. But coaches coaches get super conservative, man. They like the quarterback that maybe he can only get you 250 yards and 21 points, but he doesn't give the ball away as opposed to the guy that might put up 31, but he might give the other team 10, you know? Uh, So Brady Cook in the second half of the season last year really was a guy that didn't turn the ball over much. And that offense became very conservative. So I think it, I think that choice could come down to Eli Drinkwitz's mentality. And if it does, the last two years tell me it's Brady Cook then, because the last two years tell me he's not a very aggressive football coach. Uh, it's the old, should I make one bet or should I do my super parlay <laughs> with right. plus, you know, right. 10,000 odds? Right. Um, can, can I sit at the craps table and just pay the, play the pass line all night? Or am I throwing out the the money on the hard eight when I get there and I have a right. drink or two in me? That's, I don't even have much to say because that is exactly what it is. I mean, it's easy. It's probably easier the further we're 
out from the season starting saying one way or the other. But I feel like when it's uh or in fall camp and he still maybe hasn't had a decision like he had you know so quickly last year. I think it was like seven or eight days before uh, Cook was named the starter. I don't know. I feel like he, he could get tight and be like, ah, I just need to know. I know what I have versus throwing it out there all on the line. Right. I, I mean, it's like it's why he played Cody Schrader as much as he, he knew what he was getting out of Cody Schrader. It wasn't going to be a home run, but he knew Cody Schrader was going to give him a single up the middle, you know, every now and then a double in the gap. Um, And a lot of coaches do that. So if I tell, if I ask you, give me a number, how many different players, assuming injury is not a factor, how many players start a game at quarterback for Missouri this year? Start a game. My first inclination is to say two, but here's my thing. Wouldn't one of them transfer if look they're they're losing a quarterback after this year? I mean, they just are. I, I don't think there's any every t- I think you have to assume every year you're gonna have a quarterback transfer. I um, wish I knew how because we haven't talked about Jay Garcia this whole time. Right. I wish I knew how much like where he was, how close he was in this pecking order. No matter who's one and two, is it one, two, and then three down here? Right. Is it one, is it two, kind of and who's a regular three right under them? Because yeah. I could still say two, knowing you know he could do that, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with one. I'm gonna stick with one for right now. I I say two because I think there's a pretty decent chance Drinkwitz goes into game one not 100 percent sure who his starting quarterback is. That's dangerous. like I think I think he's gonna name a guy. I think he's gonna start a guy, but I think he's gonna know if this doesn't go well, I'm gonna give the other guy a shot. Um, so I, I think he, even if everybody's healthy, I think at least two guys start a, a game at quarterback. I don't think it's probably three because I, I just think naturally, I don't think you're going to have three guys that are close enough. Like the third guy probably is going to be a little bit behind whoever that is, whether it's Cook, Garcia, or Horn. Um, well, but I would, I go for you. If, uh, cause I've got the schedule for this year uh, pulled up. So South Dakota, middle Tennessee, I mean, to start the season. Do you think it could be any situation where one guy starts game one, one guy could possibly start game two, or they both play both of those games uh, and you see from there? I think it's possible. Like, I don't know if he'll say that out loud, but I think it is possible that he goes into those games saying, I know I'm going to play my top two guys, and this is an audition to see who starts against Kansas State on September 16th. Mm. which is Uh, entertaining (laughs) it's entertaining i would say i would say risky uh so (laughs) okay so this kind of danny's question kind of leads into what i want to talk about next say the 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 defense is legit qb position shows up is nine wins in a playoff realistic i mean nine wins to me is the, the absolute ceiling for this team of reality and it might be stretching reality a little bit but like i could see nine like i don't think tennessee is this program that you just go and say well we can never beat them now i don't think florida is that so so let's say nine is the ceiling but more than that we talk so much about quarterback and i kind of posed this question yesterday because pffs had a few things out like hey the highest ranked returning blah blah what's missouri's best position I would it be 
it's to me it's between defensive tackle, linebacker, safety. I think and, it's linebacker. Okay. And it, it depends what your reasoning is for all of them. So like defensive tackle, maybe at the top end as far as the starters, good starters, but they're not best player. You're not saying that person's the best player on the team, but their depth, one through five, it's really solid. And then I haven't even talked about Marquise Gracial and Jalen Marshall, who they like a lot. And they fit this new mold of what Drinkwitz wants from his interior defense alignment. He wants bigger guys. Both of those guys, because um, I was doing my upside downside thing today for defensive tackle, so perfect timing. Both of those guys are 6'4", taller, over 310 pounds. They have the size to play today, and they've got a you know that red shirt under their, their belts. So they can do that, and they may be able to find a way to really get in that rotation. Linebacker, there was times last year where, like, Tyron Hopper is the best player on the team, mm-hmm. and all SEC – type of guy like he he could have got second team probably and wouldn't have shot no one I mean I thought he was probably going to get that to be honest um mm-hmm. that he had a chance for it and then when you go to safeties I'm really excited about Dalen Carnell Jalen Carlisle is you know he's been it seems like since I've gotten here or since the year before that his name and the NFL have always been attached about what it what he could be his potential uh, in the draft Joseph uh, Charleston proved to be just a re- reliable veteran that you know that worked so they've got that, and they got added Travez Johnson and, and Sidney Williams, you know, uh, for depth, whether that be playing the star in the back end. Mm-hmm. So it depends what exactly you're grading, you know, the best position. I, I go linebacker because you're talking about defensive tackle, and you have to have five guys at defensive tackle because you're going to rotate there. If you have two linebackers and they stay healthy, they're going to play every single snap that matters. Like those guys don't come off the field. You know, uh, I, I mean – Tyron Hopper is going to be out there for every snap that that matters for Missouri football, unless he just comes and says, I'm exhausted. We just had an 18 play drive. I, I need a break. Chad Bailey's going to be out there for almost every snap that matters. Um, I think Hopper's the best football player on the team right now. Now, I, I know people are going to say, what about Luther Burden? Look, Tyron Hopper was a better player than Luther Burden last year, and that's Luther's only year in college. Maybe Luther is a better player in a year, but right now – Tyron Hopper, I think, has had a better season than any player in a Missouri uniform has had um, in in the SEC. And I think Chad Bailey, if you look at the second half of 2021 and all of last year, like that defense got a lot better when he got on the field. And then then you get into, you know, they love Tristan Newsom, who's coming in from junior college. Um, And do we count Dalen Carnell and Trevez Johnson as linebackers because realistically that's kind of what they play, or do those guys count as safeties? You know, I'm whatever. Still counting them. Are they're more safeties. Little, they're more so. They're more so stay, uh, safeties, but also they got Chuck Hicks coming back, and they like Chuck yeah. Hicks as well. But uh, and Tristan Newson, he seems like he's already the best coverage linebacker on the team. Now that's obviously spring ball, and that's not. We got to see I mean, what fall camp and, you know. I'll, I'll tell you, there there are people talking about Tristan Newson the way they were talking about Tyron Hopper last year. Now, that does yeah. not necessarily mean that's yeah. what he's going to be, but there are people that think that. Right. So, when you say that, as far as how much they're going to play, yeah, that, that makes sense. I just – defensive tackle just sticks out because for your three deep, for if your third stringers can play – not I'm not saying for whole games at a time – but if you know you can rotate first, second, and third stringers, and there's not a significant drop off if you have your third stringers in for a drive or so or something like that, 
then that's pretty that's pretty good. That's yeah. Especially with how the defensive ends are. So I'm going to be the wet blanket here for a minute, and I'm going to piss some people off that are watching or listening to this. So we talked about the offense, and, and we're looking at this season, and I think rightfully so, going, hey, it's going to come down to, you know, can they get a representative offense? Now, I think everybody's just kind of assuming that Missouri's defense is like really good to borderline elite. what if this defense isn't quite as good as it was last year? You know, what if, uh, because I, I want to look back. I mean, you know, the Arkansas game, like Arkansas put up some points and yards. Wake Forest, I, I know they only put up 27 points, but but Wake Forest kind of had its way. Tennessee hung 66 on Missouri. I know some of that had to do with bad offense, but my point is late in the year, there were some, hang on, what if, you know, what if maybe we're seeing a little wear? And, and the other thing that scares me is I just don't know who replaces Isaiah McGuire and DJ Coleman. And so without those guys, does Blake Baker have to blitz a little bit more? If Blake Baker has to blitz a little bit more, are KAD and Ennis Rakestraw and Jalen Carlis and Joseph Charleston a half step or a step worse than they were last year? I, I'm I'm not saying I don't think the defense is good. I'm just saying that I think we're going through this summer and people are just automatically assuming, hey, this is like a top 10, 15 unit in college football. And things change year to year and they've got to go prove it again. So last year, I think there was 30, I think it was 34th in the FBS in, in total defense. So they were really – they were pretty good. They, they were especially good considering they were playing with an offense that frequently would just run three plays and put them right back on the field. That is that is also true. Um, they are pretty good. But, yeah, losing Coleman and uh, McGuire – like when you lose best player on the team, second best pass rusher, um, even Trajan Jeffcoat struggled right. last year, but he started but he's gone nine too. games. And, yeah, and he's playing for Arkansas. So – you got three of those guys at defensive end at one position. That's a it's a bare defensive end group, and it's inexperienced, and you don't know what you have. Doesn't mean they can't be good, and there can be somebody who surprises everybody. Or but one now you need one. I mean now you need two of them. You're hoping for a third to kind of supplement that, and it's just a lot of inexperienced guys and setting the edge like. And the SEC is a lot more important than maybe in the Big 12 or something because they like to run the ball. It gets physical. And, of course, they need to rush the passer, but that's a forgotten thing about edge. You just think sacks and pass rushing and stuff, setting that edge and not letting somebody like Rocket Sanders or all these running backs in this league go wild is it's pretty big. So I don't know. I think it will be a good defense. I don't know if it can be as good as last year when you lose what you lose. Um at, at defensive end. Right. And there's a lot of guys. I mean, they have thrown numbers at that. You know, Joe Moore's there, Austin Firestone. They got some freshmen, uh, Niles Gaddy, the kid from Jackson State. Like, they're putting a bunch of dudes out there, and they're still kind of looking at defensive linemen in the portal, it looks like, based on some recent offers. So, you know, uh, you assume that they'll find some guys that can play. But I, I'm just saying, I think the offense has to be significantly better just because – I just don't think you can go ask that defense yeah. to not lose anything from last year. 
you know, um, we, we just kind of automatically assume every player is going to get better every year. And, and again, the, the, the smartest thing Eli Drinkwood says, and he says it like 10 times every week is progress isn't linear. Right. I mean, like, yeah, just because player a had a good year last year, doesn't like, if he was at this level, that doesn't mean he's going to this level this year necessarily. Like some guys get better. Some guys stay the same and some guys get worse. So, um, so not not a ton of news, but but we just kind of want to catch up and give some thoughts football wise. Um, let's let's hit the only news that happens in June. Mostly, at least you should hope the only news that happens in June is recruiting, because if there's news that happens team wise, it ain't good. Police are usually involved and you don't want to hear right. about that. Um, so recruiting, a couple things have happened. Um, Aiden Glover, a quarterback commit, um, which I think is. Look, I don't know if Aiden Glover is the next Vince Young or never plays on a college football field, right? I'm, I'm not a scout. Uh, but I think it's big to get your quarterback commit in this class. Once Daniel Kalen went to Nebraska, like they needed to get a guy. They went and got a guy. And and so, you know, hopefully, honestly, he's not your starter maybe for three seasons, but you've got that next guy in line. All right. I mean – that's all I seen. I seen the ten thoughts thing, and you said it perfectly. Having a quarterback for each year, basically, that you you know that yeah. you can go to. So he fits. He fits that mold. And whether yeah, he's he's Vince Young or Michael Vick or whatever, or he doesn't play, that's unknown. You're really not even hoping for him to play that first year or second year oh, anyway. No. You're hoping yeah. that the guys ahead of him got it on lock and they can do their thing. But yeah, they they needed to get that done, and, and they got. Someone they like, so that, that's cool. Because in the free transfer era, look, I mean, somebody look, we already said somebody's leaving after this year. If Brady mm-hmm. Cook's not starting this year, look, guys, I, I know he loves Missouri, but he's got another year. Chances are he ain't gonna sit here and be a backup for that other year. If Sam Horn's not starting this year, and I've written this on the site, like He's got a potential major league baseball career down the road. He didn't come here to sit and be a backup. If Jake Garcia is not starting next year, people will say, well, he's already transferred once. He can't go anywhere. Look, Missouri just got a women's college basketball player last night who is at her fifth school in five years. There ain't no rule. You can go do anything you want. If he wants to transfer, Jake Garcia could transfer tomorrow and they'd find a reason that it would be okay. Like, I am convinced there are no rules anymore. So I'm not convinced Jake Garcia is locked in to be in here at all. Um, but I mean, ideal world, Hey, Sam Horn's your starter for two years. Then he goes to the NFL. Then Jabari Johnson takes over. Then Aiden, uh, Aiden Glover takes over and you're off and running with the program, but we don't know. Um, some news was out today. It has since kind of been pulled down, but it seems like Missouri's going to have somewhere around 15 official visitors in town this weekend. That is going to include Ryan Wingo. Um, it, it is Missouri's biggest recruiting weekend. It was going to include Williams Nwaneri, who is a defensive end from Liberty North. He is, uh, the number three player in the country and number one player in the state. He was on that list. It now kind of seems like he is going to take an unofficial visit to Georgia rather than an official visit to Missouri. Um, that kind of tells you if that happens that Missouri's not getting this kid because he's got to pay his own way. He's already been to Georgia. You know, I'm not sure Missouri's getting him anyway. But, um, you know, we were talking, Gerard. I mean, look, right now we're looking at if they don't get Ryan Wingo, they may not get anybody in the rivals' top 10 in the state of Missouri. That has never happened since we've been doing rankings. Like, how. 
how big a concern is this? Because there is the crowd that is panicking, and then there's the crowd that say, well, recruiting doesn't even matter anymore. Just sign transfers. I mean, not in the top 10 since since Riles has been doing this. Huh? Right. Like it's, and and the, 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 the landscape is different. The portals never existed like this before. So it is different, but I, you still got to sign some guys. You've got to – the tr- you're right. The transfer portal means a lot and stuff and all that good stuff. But a lot of these teams that, that go nine and three and ten and two and in the playoff and win championships, they got a lot of kids that four or five star kids, right? Not saying Missouri is gonna be expecting to get that, but to not get any of the top ten in your own state. That's I mean, because if you're not gonna get them from your home state, where are you gonna get them? That that's the thing. If you're Missouri. If Ryan Wingo and Williams Nwaneri are from Arizona or Pennsylvania or Florida, they ain't coming right. here. You're just not get like I'm sorry to say that, guys, but it's just true. If you look at that, that that guy is going to Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, USC, like that's where those kids go. So the only shot you have to get those guys is them being from Missouri, which is why it makes it kind of important. Um, and I just. Like, I, I don't believe that a college football cr- program that is going to play between 40 and 50 guys in almost every game, I don't believe you can survive simply by saying all we need to do is recruit the portal. Like, high school recruiting might matter a little bit less than it did 10 years ago, but it's like you still got to sign guys. You still got to have guys that you sign as freshmen who are on your team as juniors and play well. That and... We were talking about it earlier, I think, with uh, Brady Cook and stuff. When you're getting players who are in their third or fourth year, their ceiling, you're right around that. Mm-hmm. Right. And for a lot of people who hop in the portal, it's because they probably weren't that great or it wasn't the right situation for the team they were at. So unless you're one of the Blue Bloods getting, you know, top, you know, Denver Harris's and stuff who – immediately he'd start on probably, you know, most teams in the country or something like that. You're getting the people who it didn't, wasn't a great fit for where they're at. And they're, now they're trying to see what they can do at your school. And you kind of already understand their ceiling. And there's something too, like what you said about Sam Horn, kind of saying, I don't know, this is a, this is a three, four star guy that I really like. Um, and we don't know. We just, he has the benefit of, we don't know what he can be, but we have this idea of, what he can be, so let's go with that. If it's all full of veterans and stuff, I mean, one, quick roster turnover, and two, you're kind of capping what you can do, what your team could do. And, and also transfers, you're either taking guys who are coming up from a lower level and counting on them being good, or you're taking guys who largely weren't playing at a higher level. Like, a kid is not going to transfer from Florida to Missouri very often if he was seeing the field a ton you know, or Georgia to Missouri, if he was, if he was playing a lot. Um, so th- this kind of predates you, Gerard, obviously, but Eli Drinkwitz's first couple classes, he came in, made a big splash, I think 19th in the country and then 12th in the country with his first two recruiting classes. And it kind of reset the bar. And we all said, Hey, maybe this idea that Missouri can't recruit at that level is wrong. But one thing I remember distinctly saying at the time is it's awesome that he's done it. And this is the level you have to recruit at every single year if you want to compete to win important things in this league. Like I said, it can't be one or two years here, and then you just slip back to 35 where Missouri has lived in the past. So 
his first class was was 19th. Well, truthfully, that ranking doesn't even matter anymore because two-thirds of that, legitimately, I'm not even exaggerating, two-thirds of that class is gone. The next class was number 12, and that's the one with Burden and Horn that we're waiting to see if that class is what that class is. Um, but then the 2023 class, they were 33rd in the country. I am including Texas and Oklahoma in the SEC now because for all intents and purposes, they are SEC teams. So at number 33 in the country, do you want to guess where Missouri's recruiting class ranked in a 16-team SEC? I'll say 12? 15. It was better than Vanderbilt. Every other team in this league had a top 32 class. Um, Mm. So I I think you can survive that for one year, right? Hey, that's okay. We understand you're Missouri. You're not going to recruit on the level. Maybe some of these other teams – uh, like an uh, Oklahoma or uh, you know Georgia, whatever. But you can survive a one class that's at number thirty-three, especially if you're hitting transfers. But if you get into another class that's there, then it goes back to what I was saying two years ago. No, the twelfth and nineteenth—that has to start to be the rule, not the exception. If you're going back to having classes in the mid-thirties and you're fourteenth and fifteenth in this league every year. I'm sorry, guys, the ability to just take players that, that that everybody says aren't quite as good as as the other teams in this league and beat those teams, it's just not realistic. Like, people want to say, well, that's what Gary Pinkle did. Well, no, it really isn't. He was probably ranking fifth or sixth in the Big 12 in recruiting rankings and finishing second and third. So he was beating some of those teams, but not. it's not like he was 11th in that league. And that's where the SEC is so different. That's why, I mean, I, I was at the NFL draft and, you know, every every year the SEC is like, we've had 972 players drafted and the rest of college football's only had 971, right? I mean, it, it's every year. And so being 33rd overall, it might, it would be fourth in the Big 12. That's great. That's good enough. It's not good enough if it's 15th in your own league. And so that's where the concern starts to come in for me with where this class is right now with only three total commitments and, and, you know, is because last year was a slight step back. If this one is a step back from that, then you start to look at and say, is there enough talent on this roster to win enough games in the next couple seasons? Right. And I want to add one more thing to that. Um, I talked to Jeremiah McClellan a couple weeks ago at the camp and he said to me that he'd come to it for a visit, you know, during the season. Here's the problem with things like that, and especially when you're not one of those teams winning 9, 10, 11 games constantly in the New Year 6, well, in the playoff coming to 2024. I mean, the, the top 12 recruiting teams in right. the country are almost the same every year, so yeah. Right. Here's what happens when you're waiting on the season coming, you're not winning games. If I was a recruit and you're the hometown team and all that stuff, but I got the Blue Bloods recruiting me, and you know what they're going to do every year. And they're saying, ah, we've got this, we got that, you know, NIL, all that good stuff. But you're the hometown team. I've got to wait for you. And we don't know exactly what you're going to be. You've been six and six for a long time. I've now got to wait until the fall to see if you start winning mm-hmm. to kind of help your case. By that time, all the Blue Bloods have already told you everything you want to hear. This is where you're going to be. You're going to have all this stuff, you know, associated with Ohio State, Alabama, whatever it is, while you're waiting for, you know, the local team right. to 
And I mean, good or not, McClellan's got four official visits this month. I forget it's LSU, Ohio State, and a couple a couple others. I can't remember who yeah. the other two are off the top of my head, but that's why I mean I put in, in one of the threads today. I said I'd be surprised if Jeremiah McClellan makes it to the season not committed. If we're being honest, you know, uh, I mean, he said he'll take a visit this fall, and he may take a visit this fall, but I wouldn't be at all surprised to see him uh, commit somewhere. And, and, and if he commits to somewhere else, it'd be really hard to commit to one of those schools with all the resources. I mean, it happens. But... No, I'm not saying I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm just saying it's going to be hard to go to those official visits elsewhere, commit, then come to Missouri and say like, ah, uh, you know, it, like again, it happened with Luther. It happened with Luther when you know he mm-hmm. flipped on what was Oklahoma, but yeah. that doesn't happen all the time though. Right. I mean, I always say like, yes, you're going to get a kid to flip sometimes, but you'd always rather be the first one to get him and try to hold on to him than be trying to steal him from somewhere else. So look, I'm not saying panic guys, but Hey, it goes back to what we started this show with. Like this is a pretty big, big six months for Missouri, not just on the football field, but also on the recruiting trail. Like college football is changing this league is getting so much harder than any league in the history of college football, I think has ever really been. Um, you know, there's a lot of questions out there over the next six months. And um, I don't know about you, man. I'm, I'm looking, I, I'm, I'm kind of getting the batteries recharged and getting ready to get some of these answers. Right. As opposed to just asking the same questions every day. I'm, I'm ready to start finding out what, what the, some of the answers are. Yeah, I'm ready for SEC media days. It's it's about you know, like you said, it's about a month away. So ready to see what what they've got to say. I want to know some more updates because spring ball was just it just felt so weird not having it. It was like day. it almost didn't happen. Yeah, it just for one, it feels like like that was January. It was it was three months ago, but it just felt like an eternity ago. And then the scrimmage thing was weird. I just feel like there were so many things we didn't get to have even concrete ideas on and then add in injuries like quarterback and stuff a lot of stuff going on and then add in the fact that for the first time in a while Missouri fans and my attention was on basketball at that time of year which it which it hasn't been for a while right so uh all right so we're going to finish up with with one question here from from your boy Drew he wants to know who the Lakers should draft on Thursday just say Kobe Brown man you'll be the most popular guy here yes (laughs) Uh, anybody who's going to help them put up buckets uh, and play some defense, trade it, draft someone, I don't care. But do something more than what you do. <laughs> there you go. Well, guys, appreciate everybody who did jump on live with us here on YouTube. Uh, make sure before you leave to to subscribe to the channel, like the show. Uh, again, we'll have at least one more episode before SEC media days. Then after SEC media days, we'll do this again. And starting in August with fall camp, we're going to be doing Gerard and I'll do this every single week and all that. Um, we'll, we'll add Drew into the mix to, to talk some basketball as that gets closer. Um, it has been a long off season. We're most of the way through it, not quite all the way through it, but um, appreciate you guys joining us here live. If you're listening on the podcast, say good things, share it on social media, all that. That'll be up as soon as I hit end here and um, no specific schedule, but we will talk to you next time.